0: we need to pray for in our country is the minds of these people would be open to the gospel. That's what they call revival, really. What is revival? To sum it up is when God begins to open the minds and the eyes of folks to the gospel. First to his own people, and then spreading out like fire, like a wildfire in a dry land. It will go through the land. I've lived through a revival. Many of you have in the 70s there was a spiritual revival in the united states i did a lot of my witnessing i was at in 1970 i was uh, 20 years old and 18 years old excuse me 18 19 i don't know what i was <laughs> and so i began to witness you know my first sermon was when i was 19 i began to preach and began to witness and many people responded to the gospel. I cannot explain it. It wasn't from my expertise. I can tell you that. But we preached on Fort Myers Beach, got up on a picnic table, got a permit from Lee County to preach on, on spring break. I went down and stood on those tables in the park there by the pier. And I would estimate two to 3,000 young people gathered around us from the benches all the way to the water. We had loudspe- a couple of loudspeakers. It was right during the raging of the Vietnam War. And a lot of those old Vietnam vets were, they gathered around us in the front, began to heckle us and give us a hard time yelling. But our speakers were louder than they were, so we just kept preaching the gospel. I gave my testimony how I got saved. Two, three of the other people with us gave testimony how I got saved. I remember this big old brute of a man, big old boy. I mean, his... His wrists were like this. Fist was like that. We had a, he unplugged our battery. And these hecklers had been cussing us and doing all kinds of horrible things to us. And they were, they were in their old military fatigues, you know, still wearing some of that stuff from the war. And that old big boy, uh, we went down to put that 12-volt thing back on, and he said, if you do that, I'm going to knock your head off. And I, I believe my brother and I were down there and my brother said to him, I'm going to put it back on. We have a permit from Lee County and we're going to continue to do this. And, and I, that's one of them super short, super important prayers that you make that you don't have two weeks to get the answer for. I said, God, if you ever, this is in my head. I said, if you ever showed yourself strong, it would be good right now. And just about the time my brother took the two clips to put them on the 12-volt battery, and that guy, I remember him raising back, you know. I mean, he was weighed 250-pound, big old boy. Getting back ready to hit my brother. And I remember these five guys that had been heckling us, came in and surrounded him. And these guys, just back from Vietnam... Uh, Said to him, if you touch these people, we're gonna kill you. I believe they meant it, because they just got back from killing people. And there wasn't much distance between them and Vietnam. They were killing people one day in the United States the next. And a lot of trouble with Vietnam vets were they didn't have any time for, like you're not a killing machine anymore. You know, you can't kill somebody in a bar if they disagree with you or on the beach. You just can't kill them. But they said this guy, and, and, and all I can tell you is looking at his face, he believed. He backed up and began to back up into the crowd. And just as he got on the edge of the crowd, the police arrested him and took him off. There is a God. And the same people that harassed us came around us and said, Now you get up there and preach. That's revival. That's revival. Revival is that which you have not seen before happening right in front of your eyes. There's a God in heaven who moves in the heart of man, the very king, and his heart is in his hand, if it's so in his will to do it. We're not victims. We're victors. We're more than conquerors for him that loved us. I want to preach today a subject, how big is your God? How big is your God? This will determine, by the way, I believe this is a 1 to 10 When I ask the question, how big is your God? I don't think everybody's like one place and everybody, some people. I think this is a one to ten. By the way, good to see you, brother. Bob Carney's back from Missouri, otherwise called Misery. God bless you, brother. Thank you for coming back. Um, It's a one to ten. I think people in this room go from one, possibly, a little small little bitty God, to 10, a God that can do, literally can do anything, anytime, anywhere. And nothing is impossible with Him. And we know what the Bible says, but that doesn't mean that your God's that big. To the degree that you believe it is the degree of how big your God is. Because without faith, it's impossible to please Him. You can't do a thing with God without faith. You can't do one thing without faith. I believed if we had not determined to put that little battery cable back on that battery, we would not have seen what we saw. But you have to be willing to risk it. You have to be willing to stretch your neck out if you want to see the power of God. Or get your head beat off. But you may see that too. If your God has some influence in your life, you will have some service. If your God has a little influence in your life, you will have a little service. If your God has a great influence on your life, you'll have a great service. Does that make sense? The reason so many named Christians are half-hearted, lackluster, on again, off again, come see, come saw, a little French there, partially committed, lukewarm, struggling Christians is because their view of God is... their view of God is small as one group. Many Christians do not believe honestly the absolute exactness of the Bible. Many Christians do not believe in the literalness of the miracles of the Bible. Many Christians do not believe in the most major accounts of the Bible. Like, I'm I'm, I'm not questioning their salvation. I don't know how they could be saved, not believe, but they don't believe that God created the heavens and the earth. They don't believe there ever really was a worldwide flood or such a thing as the Tower of Babel where God gave different languages. They do not honestly believe there ever was a man named Jonah swallowed by a great fish or a whale. They read through the Gospels and discount the miracles of Jesus as hearsay. They laugh almost at at the virgin birth of Christ now, some of these people may not even be Christian because they may think they're a Christian or not. That can happen. That's a sad place to be. You Don't believe in his deity or possibly, and you can't be a Christian but not believe in his resurrection. Jesus in his second coming is also a big doctrine in the Bible. They, don't, they hold that kind of like, eh, you, know, you know, that's been being taught for almost 2,000 years. Where is he' coming? Yet, in many cases, even I don't know whether they are or are not Christian. I, I do know the ones who don't believe in the resurrection are not, because the Bible is clear on that. I believe also for the deity is important. If he's not God, he can't do what he said he's going to do. Uh, they but they tenaciously call themselves Christians and inhabit churches all over the world. Why? What happened to them? Why doubt all this? In some measure, this message, I believe, is going to answer that. I believe it's because they have a small God, supported by small faith, sustained by small actions. So let's look at the Bible and see what it says. When I, where did I get the idea this message, of course, was out of the Bible. We're Bible preaching, Bible teaching. We preach the whole Bible, nothing but the Bible, so help us God. And we don't want to go out and read Time Magazine, if that's even in existence anymore, or or quote a news media. We we want to look at the book. The only two things eternal in this room is your soul and the Bible. That's it. So we go to Malachi, otherwise by Italians known as Malachi. Malachi, the last book of the 39 books of the Old Testament, chapter 1, verse 11 through 14, and really emphasis on verse 14, but I'm going to read a little contextually. A text is a pretext without a context. For from the rising of the sun, even under the going down of the same, my name shall be what? Great among the Gentiles. In every place incense shall be offered unto my name, and pure offering. My name shall be, let's say it together, great among the heathen. Now, not among the Christians. Not among the Christians. Not among those who claim to know and believe the Bible and Christ. Among those who do not believe and are are considered in the Bible heathen, it means non-born-again folks, you could say. But you have profaned it in that you say the table of the Lord is polluted and the fruit thereof, even the meat thereof, is contemptible. These were the children of Israel, by the way. You said also, "Behold, what weariness it is!" You have snuffed at it. I like that. Snuffed at it. Snuffed at it. Have you ever had your wife make a meal, and she put it down in front of you, and it was so, it was just so bad that she snuffed at it? If I was you, I wouldn't do that. You go, Phew, not that. You know, I hate that but it's good for you. Said the Lord of hosts, he said, and, and, and brought that which was torn. These people brought in offerings. That was torn, lame, sick. If she brought an offering, should I accept this at your hands, saith the Lord? But cursed be the deceiver which hath in his flock a male and voweth it, basically commits it to God, and sacrifice unto the Lord a corrupt thing. Why? I love this. This is the passage right here. For I am a great king. Let's say it together. For I am a great king. He's not a mediocre king. He's not a good king. The Lord Jesus Christ is a great king. And it's going to be proven and vindicated as time goes on. Says the Lord, of my name is dreadful among the heathen. But this is not the only place in the Old Testament, in many places. I'll give you a sampling of where this is found again. Psalm 47, verse 2 says, He is a great king over all the earth. Psalm 48, verse 2 says, Jerusalem is the city of the great king. Psalm 95, 3 says, For the Lord is a great God, a great king above all gods. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 17 says, For the Lord your God is a God of gods. And the Lord of Lords, a great God, a mighty and terrible, which regardeth not persons, nor take his reward. You can't buy him off. Well, that's the Old Testament repeated in the New Testament. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 15 says, Which in times he shall show who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of Kings, and the Lord of Lords. Revelation 17:4 says, They shall make war with the lamb, and the lamb shall overcome them, for he is the Lord of Lords. And the king of kings, that's the deity of Christ's verse, we see in the Old Testament, Jehovah God, New Testament, Jesus. Jesus and Jehovah one. Revelation chapter 19, verse 11 through 16, I saw heaven open, behold, a white horse that sat on him was called Faithful and True, and righteousness to judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and a written, name written, which no man knew but he himself he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. He's the living Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed upon him, white horses, clothed in fine linen, and white and clean. If you've never rid, rid a horse, ridden a horse, you will, as a born-again believer. Out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that which should smite the nation. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. He treadeth the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of the Almighty God. Why did I read all that? To get to verse 16. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written. Let's say it together. King of kings and Lord of lords. Let's say it now, ready? King of kings and Lord of lords. You're going to say it. Not only will you say it here with me, but you meet him. You're going to bow down and, and uh, be on your knees before him in the pavement saying, Thou art Lord, thou art Lord, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Our God is a great. Our God is a great God. He deserves great service, He deserves great sacrifice, and He deserves great honor and so many other great things. I'll stop there. Nothing that can be asked you of Him to do is too much of a sacrifice. If He's great, remember one to ten scale. If you're on a five on that. Well, then there's a lot of things that he could ask you that you don't want to do because you don't, you know, you know. But if God's 10, there's nothing he could ask you to do that you won't do by the grace of God. If it's lay your life down, you'll lay your life down. Whatever it is, whatever suffering, whatever sacrifice, that the God of all that is would ask you to do. If, he's, if, he's, if you have the degree of faith of a 10, and you'll just say, whatever you ask me to do, I'll do it. And I won't, by the way, complain all the way home. Amen. You'll, you, as old Don uh, Don's, uh, Sis used to say, uh, you get to do it. Amen. We'll get to do it. I think Scott Pauly may say that too, just to make sure. You get to do it. Woo. He's big. Our God is big. Isaiah chapter 57, verse 15, they'll say, the high and lofty one, that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I will dwell in the high and holy place with him that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and revive the heart of the contrite one. So how do you you want to be? How do I want to be? I want to be contrite and humble. I don't want to be self-promoting, self-exalting. I want to be... Christ exalting Christ promoting I want to be a nothing I want to be little in my own eyes I move to make sure the cameraman's on it I want to be little in my own eyes why does Saul the King Saul fail he got big in his own eyes why did King David do do Bathsheba because he got big in his own eyes if you'll say, by the grace of God, small and you're little in your own eyes, you, don't, you will keep God big and you'll be little. That's the correct perspective. But what happens is we get big and our God gets little. And it causes us to do things against him and contrary to him. 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 27. This is Solomon's prayer of dedication. He says, but will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, the heaven and heaven of heavens. That's, that's where Hubble telescope's looking. Now, he couldn't see that by the naked eye. But somehow, through the Holy Spirit, he knew they were there. The heaven of heavens. Past everything you can see. The nebulae and all these other things that are out there. Cannot contain thee. How much less this house that I have built. And how ludicrous it was, uh, he's saying, to build this beautiful temple and, and act like our God's small enough to indwell that little temple. Yes, we built this temple, and yes, we're in obedience. We're worshiping in the law of Moses uh, during that period of time, you know, and we're doing what we're commanded to do at that time. And in this temple, and it's a beautiful place, but it's nothing because my God is big. My God inhabits everything that ever. In fact, the heaven of heavens can't contain Him. He's past that. So what happened to Solomon? He was the wisest man to ever live. Ever lived. None none before him, none after him. What happened to the wisest man that ever lived? God became small. He forgot his own words. And he began to marry foreign women. the Bible says took his heart away from God. He ended horribly. Nobody wants to end like Solomon. Everybody wants to begin like Solomon. Nobody wants to end like the boy. Which teaches us a very deep theological truth. It ain't over till it's over. I'm 68 years old. But it's not over. I've seen old men make fools of themselves in the last few years of their lives. I've seen old men be married 50, 60 years to one woman and then divorce her the last four or five, six years of their life. Shame their family, shame their testimony. Look, if you've made it 50, 60 years with the old girl, you can make it another three or four. <laughs> we need to get a grip on this. My brother and sister, we need to get a grip on this. This will help you. It will help you. It will help you when you're asked to sacrifice a few small things on this side of heaven for God. I have had people come to me and struggle with what God asks them to do. I say, I don't know. It's a lot, you know. How can a person live? ninety percent of your income, I ask another question: How can you rob God of ten percent and expect to live? And you know I don't preach about money. I don't. I may I may talk about money four or five times in twenty years, but I'm going to tell you it's real. It's just one area. I know one thing: if you got a man's wallet, you got his whole person. Oftentimes, people say. The love of money is the root of all sorts of evil, all kinds of evil. So it's a big factor. Why do you think God instituted tithing? What is He doing? He's just seeing if He's a big God or a small God. I remember. I remember. I was sixteen years old working on the railroad, Penn Central Railroad. We were going from Elkhart to Blue Island in Chicago, and then from Blue Island back to Elkhart. That was my little section run, and. uh I was making 125 dollars a day in 19 I think that'd have been 1970, maybe. That was a lot of money. I was thankful to the union, which had jacked the wages up to where they eventually went bankrupt. But nevertheless, I was making 125 bucks a day, working six days a week. You added up. That was a massive amount of money. I bought a brand-new Camaro in 1969 right off the showroom floor for $2,500. My insurance as a teenager was $110 a year. Gas was 20 $0.25 cents a gallon. I'm making eight, almost $800 bucks a week. I was rolling in the dough, man. And my mom came up and tapped me on the shoulder, and she said, son, you want to make sure to tithe on that money. Now, just to show you the perspective of this, there were people working at a, at a factory right across from where we live called Continental Can. That no, wasn't Continental Can. It was called, I can't remember the name of it. But it was a factory across the street from us. They were making $2 an hour. That was $80 a week. And after taxes, you made $60 a week. Now, do you, Are you in perspective with me on this? So she asked me to tithe $80. That was a man's 40-hour week. And the test was, was God going to be big with me or small with me? I said, Mom, if you would be kind enough to take that 10% out of every check I get, because I let her handle all my money, and my check came in, I just gave it to her, she deposited, took care of it. And from that day to this day, Anything I've ever known, to my knowledge, I've trusted God because I believe he's a big God. I believe God will take care of you if you believe in him. I just am stupid enough, crazy enough, wild enough to believe that there is a God and he made everything. And that if he made everything and he asked me to give a tenth, only a tenth. Look at the government don't even do that. Wants 20 30 percent, and if you get that other party in, they're going up 50 60 percent. And he only asked ever said, I give it to him faithfully, make sure it's real. I asked my wife the other day, and, You know, I gotta watch her, I got to watch her. She's a banker, She's a banker for 44 years. I have to keep my eye on her. I said, Kathy, now this is a crazy question. I know, I know Tom, you probably never asked you any of this question. But I'm, I'm showering the other day thinking, you know, my best thinking comes in the shower. Why, I don't know. But it's in my shower. I, get, I got no pencil, no paper. I can't write anything down. I, and so I thought, I wonder if we're tithing on our Social Security. Well, you know, we're already tithing on my Social Security. And so I said to her, I wonder, she surely, she surely would not be thinking, well, we already tied on it when we paid it. You know, we put the gross check, you tithe on your gross, and then and they take taxes and Social Security out of it. So they basically, in essence, you already tithe on Social Security. I thought, well, I hope she's not doing that. And I hope she's tithing. Because if I'm going to make a mistake with God, I want to be on the big side, not the small side. And so I, I asked her in fear and trembling, You've been tithing on our Social Security, haven't you? She said, Absolutely. Ah. He's a good woman. A good woman. Your faith will help you when you ask are asked by God to lay down a few of these worlds' plastic beads in exchange for solid gold, eternity. That's what, that's what the exchange is, by the way. The exchange, remember when they sold, they sell Manhattan and all that New York Island for some plastic beads to the Indians. Let me say this, we gave them reparation. They got reparation. They own all the casinos. And, and we sold them, we, we said, hey, they got these plastic beads here, or these beads, whatever they were, and, and they said, wow, we never seen anything like that. We'll sell this whole island to you. You have this whole island for some beads. And the old guys were like, yeah, that's a great deal. That's what it is when we tell God, the world comes by, the devil comes by your house, and he says, you know, he makes a deal with you. He's giving you plastic beads for God's gold. God's going to give you solid gold, He's going to give you something eternal, and you won't even care about gold in heaven. You ain't going to care about it. The streets are paved with it. You don't even care about it. It's nothing. It's something you walk on. And we'll be beating ourselves up there for the stupidity and how much value we put on it. And how little value possibly we put on the invisible things, which were the valuable things. The invisible things are what's valuable. The visible things are temporal. And they're going to be burned up and gone. And you know you can't keep them. Steve Jobs left everything he had. And so has everybody else that's ever died. And so will you. But God says, I'll let you you store something up in heaven. I'm going to give you the opportunity to make an investment in heaven. Obey what I ask you to do in simple childlike faith. Trust me, no matter how it looks. Listen, God tested me on all that stuff. I got down where I was eating mac and cheese, 19 cents a box every day. When we started doing better, I got to add peas with it. Then we're doing real good. We got to start adding tuna with it and then chicken with it or something else with it. Woo, glory to God. That was when I was in college. But if you serve a big God, that sacrifice is nothing. Why? Because God's big. This will help you when you're asked to suffer for a few days on this side to promote the kingdom of heaven. And you will be, unless you're a real exception, you're gonna be asked to suffer for Jesus' sake. Nobody gets out of here alive. You're gonna be asked to suffer for Jesus' sake. It's a promise of the Bible. But it's for Jesus' sake. It's a great opportunity. But if your God's big, you're willing to suffer for Jesus' sake. You're willing to take reproaches, you're willing to take persecutions. You're willing to take necessities. In fact, you'll look at them with disdain, knowing that when you're weak, God becomes strong. That's what Paul said. Amen. You won't go around whining because you got to give or you got to do this or nobody wants to wash the bathrooms up, so I went in there and washed them up. Brother, it's the highest calling of God to clean the bathrooms. I can't tell you how many times people have come to the preacher, this preacher, and said, the bathrooms are plugged up. I'm like, why are you telling me? I've gone there in my suit, got down on my knees and with my suit. This is dangerous, but I'm going to give it a shot. Got down on my knees and turned the water off on that no good sticky valve that they always got behind a toilet. Never works. You don't have no nice quarter valve. I turned that thing off and it really don't turn off all the way. Got the plunger. And I'm not trying to say anything. I'm nothing. But I am willing to do whatever God asked me to do. Why? Because God's big. God's big. Is He big with you? Where are you on that one to ten? This will help you when... You get discouraged. You say "Put the Bill, do you get discouraged as a Christian? Duh. Sure you do. We live in we live a symbiotic life. We live in symbiotic bodies with, with a cyclical time machine. We're in a cyclical time machine. We live in it and, and, and we 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 travel through this. Shoo, 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 shoo. And, and there's days you feel like you're on top of the world. Am I, am I saying that's true? And there's days you feel like you're, you're under everything else. Expect it. It's going to happen. It's okay. But when you get discouraged, lift up your eyes under the hills. from what's come with my help. My help cometh from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He's a big God. And now I know I'm shot right now and I'm down right now, but by the grace of God, someday I'm going to run and not be weary. Isaiah 40, 31. I believe the clearer the vision, the better you are. So real quickly here, how do you get a clear vision of the bigness of God? Number one, observe creation. I mean, spend some time observing the things around you. I mean, marvel at his complexity, marvel at the diversity of it all, marvel at the microbiology, marvel at the vastness, marvel at the color, the color alone, marvel at the shape, the shape and design of it all, marvel at the intricacy and and, and God's attention to detail, marvel at at, uh, God's sense of humor. He makes some bugs that are hilarious looking, and some people, but marvel at his programming, Marvel at the programming. I got squirrels at my house that are programmed to get nuts and bury them, and they eat some and bury some, and they eat some and bury some. And they've been around since the beginning of creation and maintain themselves. They're a little, what they are is they're a little, you know, they're talking about these uh, robots. Are you kidding me? We're so far away from, God has in this little squirrel a self-sustaining, self-healing, self-propagating robot, robot with a computer. He's a computer with a program. And he just don't need you. He'll get hurt. He'll heal. He'll reproduce. That's all they do is reproduce. All the rabbits in my house are reproducing. All the squirrels in my house are reproducing. All the birds in my house are reproducing. The only two people not reproducing in my house are my wife and I. (laughs) Yeah. Marvel at his durability and flexibility. How durable what he makes is, how flexible it is, yet how tender it is. Marvel at his power, his sheer power of gravity, power of water, power of weather, power of wind, power of earthquakes, power of volcanoes, power of viruses. When God makes a virus, he makes a good one. Absorb his words, that's the second way. Read the Bible until your blood runs bibline, Memorize it, meditate on it, reflect on it, sing it, and seek it. Put him to the test. Ooh. He tells the children of Israel, he says, prove me, prove me, prove me. Obey what I tell you to do. Prove me and see not that I am who I say am. Basically, that's a paraphrase. Amen. I like to prove God. I love it. Do what he says. Obey the principles in the Bible. Listen to the Holy Spirit. I dare you. At the end of this, you will agree that God is a great king, worthy of all praise and love and sacrifice and service and passion. Give the best to your master. Give of the strength of your youth. I just, my heart, exalt my heart, leapt as I saw these men up here. These aren't boys anymore. These are men. And I, and I saw a young man playing the organ and a young woman playing the piano. And the only old guy was Tom. And, and I love it when young people, I was, I, look, I was one of you. I came here and I was 28 years old. I'm 68. I was 28 years old. Uh, brother, uh, who is his name? Chris Barrows. That's it. He was 27 when he's 27 now, I think. I thought about that the other day, one more year, and he was when he was how old I was. How did I get here? Because there's a great God. We serve a great God. Give of your best to the master, give of the strength of your youth. Clad in salvation's full armor. Join in the battle for truth. I like this, and I quit, I'm done. Find in some degree as I have that our God is a consuming fire. He will consume you. But in consuming you, he will produce something of eternal value that no price can be placed on. He is a great God who inhabiteth Eternity. I ask the question I started with. How big is your God? Father, thank you for the few minutes together. May the Holy Spirit use the word of God. I know he will. Sharpen a two-edged sword. It's a promise. Do that work which you set out to do here this morning. This goes out all over the world through the internet and iTunes and all these other places. May God the people listening to this and third world countries be encouraged that when you go to heaven, it won't be third world. Pray for us who live in prosperity. For we have a harder battle than what you would know. God help us to save us from prosperity. Save us from its deafening and blinding Help us to understand what's real, what's not real, what's eternal and what's temporal. Help us to have faith, to believe. Father, we come to you and we say, Abba, Father, we need you. There'll be someone in this room without the Lord Jesus Christ, their personal Savior, they know, do not know. Oh, maybe, they have, maybe they'll say, yeah, I'm 10%, 20%, 30%, but you're not 100% sure that if you die today, you go to heaven. We'd love to be able to take the Bible, at least open it for you in show you what was showing us, how you can be saved, what Tom talked about at the beginning. If you're outside of the will of God, you you let God get small in your life. When today you you make Him big again. It's a choice. Walk out of here and say, I'm never going to let God get small again. The deafening, blinding of Satan will make God small in your life don't let him do it. Come to the light. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.